Hello, everyone, and welcome to Consumer Watchdog's Rage for Justice Report. This is our weekly conversation about the current issues we're exposing, confronting, and changing. I'm your host, Carmen Balber, Executive Director of Consumer Watchdog. And my guest this week on the Rage for Justice Report is Bridget Graham, who is the Administrative Director of the Center for Public Interest Law uh, down at UC San Diego, which for decades has been one of the state's leading voices for reform of physician oversight at the Medical Board of California and one of our close allies in that fight. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Bridget. Thank you so much. I just wanted to clarify we're at the University of San Diego, which is different. I knew I got that wrong. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. No, no problem. problem. That's, it happens that's a lot. We have live, live recordings. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time, Bridget, because uh, this is a really timely topic. Um, next week in Sacramento, the medical board is uh, going to be coming under the spotlight of the legislature. It's the board's official sunset review, which the legislature does every several years, and uh, requires the board to answer to the lawmakers and the public uh, about how it's doing its job. And I and I have to say, unfortunately, that the board is not doing well. Uh, we have a medical board that has really fundamentally lost uh, the public's trust and its ability uh, to protect them uh, from uh, doctors uh, uh, who are causing harm in the community. And this was, you know, has been on pretty stark display uh, over the many years that we've been working with patients who interact with the medical board after suffering harm uh, at a doctor's hands. Um, so before maybe we get to solutions about what your organization and mine might be proposing to the Sunset Review next week. Let's talk about, um, you know, the state of things. Uh, what might be going well? What might be going wrong? What are some of the top issues uh, that CPIL uh, is going to be bringing to lawmakers' attention uh, next week, Bridget? Yeah, well, thank, thanks again for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation, and we also really value your partnership. It's so important to have allies and many different and diverse voices before the medical board um, to advocate for change. So I think this is such an important part of the conversation. Um, As far as what I see, and I I think this has really been amplified by a lot of the work that you're doing and the patients that you work with, um, is telling the story that so many people have been really harmed by physicians in one way or another and you know whether it be directly or by their family members and what has just become very clear is there is a big disconnect between those patients and their advocates and um, the board's reaction to that and and really their ability to do anything about the stories that they're hearing and so to me something that I think is important to focus on and that we're going to be raising with the legislature is I think there's some real structural and infrastructural problems that are really exacerbating this disconnect between the board and the patients. So that those are some of the things we want to raise is how can we um, repair this problem they have right now with the public's trust? How can they engage better and listen to what patients are telling them? Um, and what kinds of changes in the law might be necessary to make that happen? And I mean... You, that the, puts a fine point on it because some of the things that we just repeatedly hear from the public is, for example, um, if you or a loved one are harmed by medical negligence, 
uh, you can file a complaint with the medical board about the care you received. Um, and it's the board's job to investigate uh, the doctor who provided that care and decide um, if uh, something uh, wrong did occur, if there was negligence or um, uh, or uh, some other problem that occurred, and what discipline to enact in those circumstances. And um, so there are so many breakdowns in that process. You know, we hear from we hear from patients who uh, file a complaint, never hear from the board, and then a, a year or two later get a letter saying, we've closed your complaint, thank you very much, we found no problem. Or uh, we hear from families who uh, have to wait for five years for the final resolution uh, of the complaint they submitted. Or we hear from families who um, uh, think that, in fact, the board has proposed to do something about uh, the harm that was caused to them, only to have the discipline uh, uh, negotiated down to a slap on the wrist. Uh, so we get a, and I know you hear the same stories, we hear story after story of the board not being responsive or, or recognizing the harm uh, that patients uh, su have suffered or, or, and providing little to no accountability when that harm happens. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. And um, so I think that's some of the things that we are, we're looking at is this breakdown in communication. I, I think part of the reason that we experience this problem is that fortunately or unfortunately, what the board really has to focus on is what are violation, what, what is happening that is an actual violation of the law, of the, of the Medical Practice Act. I mean, that's really what their job is to prosecute physicians who violate that law. And a lot of times things that happen, which are terrible, are not actually violations of the law. So to me, that's the first problem um, that we're experiencing is this breakdown in communication between the patients who have really suffered, you know, emotionally as well as physically with this process. And then also, you know, um, how to, you know, how to explain to the patients and to the people that are complaining to the board what is happening with the process and what the board's job is. Uh, I think that's that's a part of part of the problem here. And so there's the things that perhaps uh, the board can't officially discipline the doctor about, but need to be communicating better with patients about. And then there are the things that they absolutely should be uh, disciplining doctors for and don't. And I know that, um, I th think it would be really illustrative, Bridget, if you could uh, give the example briefly of um, the case in Santa Clara, uh, where a foster care physician just got away with... Uh, abuse for decades, and no one ever held him accountable for it. Yes, this is a really terrible story, than, and hopefully, uh, you know, an infrequent example, but some an, an example that just came up in the news a couple of weeks ago, where there was a physician who had been the actual, the, I believe the title was like chief pediatrician for the foster care system of Santa Clara County for many years, and yet had actually, I believe, fostered children of his own living in his home. And those children had been filing complaints of sexual abuse that, that at this point have dated back over 20 years. Um, and a, a recent article by the, um, I think it was the San Jose Mercury, they identified several things that had happened to this physician. He eventually had had, had social workers complain against him. Eventually, he was stripped of his job as chief pediatrician. 
in the county. There was even findings by the district attorney there that showed that he had had sexual uh, sexual abuse and problems. Um, and yet he continues to practice. And, and this often happens when you do have physicians who maybe lose their privileges or lose their ability to practice in particular hospitals. Or in this case, it was in the state setting. Uh, he now serves low income and Im primarily immigrant uh, community in just south of Santa Cruz. Um, he's continuing to practice now. And only last week or two weeks ago did the board file an accusation to uh, revoke his license. And you know, it's, it is an example of, we don't really know what happened, right? Sometimes what does happen, I understand, is that if there are potential criminal proceedings happening, the district attorneys may ask the board to not file anything publicly while they're investigating. So it's unclear whether some, some of that happened in this case, but regardless, over 20 years with, like, I cannot imagine a more vulnerable population of, of people that he harmed, these foster youth. Um, and for the board to only now be just starting the discipline process 20 years later, it just illustrates so many problems with the system. A complete breakdown from start to finish, really, what yes. we're talking about 20 years later. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I was going to point out that something that another thing in our letter and something that that case really points out is the importance not only of consumers complaining, but of the board's ability to receive reports um, from various sources, mandated reports by the statute. So, for example, hospitals, if they, um, if doctors that work in their system lose their peer, their um, hospital privileges from the peer review system, they're required to report to the board. There's, you know, coroners under certain circumstances are required to report to the board, and it makes you wonder um, if maybe we need some additional reporting requirements in situations like what happened with this doctor for, you know, at a state at a state or county level, if there's discipline happening with some of their county employees, are they reporting and communicating that to the board? And something that the legislature could look into, in fact, is force the hospitals across the state of California to report to them if they are making these reports in a timely manner, and if not, why not? Because some of these things are mandated by law already, yet yes. the board says, oh, we don't think we're getting those reports, but then there's no follow-up. Exactly. And that is part of the problem, I think, too, is there while we do have some statutes in place, which is good, um, it, the board itself is recognizing it doesn't think that it's receiving everything. And so that's another thing, as you mentioned, the legislature can look into is perhaps adding some mechanism for the board to be able to um, enforce those statutes and maybe proactively look to make sure that they are receiving these reports, which really are very, very important and that some of the worst discipline you know, the, the most serious discipline that is imposed on doctors is a result is often a result of some of those mandated reports. So, what else? In addition to that, what else is um, among the recommendations for reform uh, that you're making to the legislature next week? Sure. So, there's a couple things with respect to this public trust issue that we're that we're recommending, and one is an idea of what you know we're calling an ombuds person or an ombuds office and and there are various forms that this can take but you know it would be to have an office independent of the board really that is responsible for um, and available to communicate with patients that are having trouble as some of those ones that you described maybe never heard anything about what was happening with the board um, once they filed their their complaint or just kind of helping patients to walk through the process understand where things stand and um and so that that's one of them. And, and the other thing that's a benefit of that type of office, we've seen these in models in other countries and even other industries, 
is they this ombuds office would be able to perhaps track trends of complaints that they are receiving that maybe at this moment do not violate the Medical Practice Act, but maybe it should. You know, a new thing that's popping up that many patients are experiencing might be cause for additional legislation. So having somebody to look at the bigger picture of what's happening, I think, would be really important. Uh, and then another thing is we really are recommending, and we've been recommending this for a long time, that the... Um, medical board's composition be made up of a majority of non-doctors. So that would mean adding two public members to the board's composition. And there would be one, uh, I think then that would make it maybe nine public members and eight uh, physician members of the board. And I, I think that strikes the right balance because the board's paramount priority is public protection. And so having public members um, make up the majority of the board, I think would be a really important and significant change. Well, that, I mean, that piece, and we, we support both of those ideas, but that um, idea of a public member majority board is one that's been around for a while um, and has gotten some national attention even recently. It was the subject of a whole uh, CBS This Morning expose about doctors protecting doctors, not patients on medical boards, because it, it, it gives both the public and uh, lawmakers the appearance that, you know, you have an industry that is policing itself. You have doctors deciding what the appropriate discipline is for doctors uh, who can even, you know, at times be their colleagues. Uh, so that's definitely something that we uh, echo wholeheartedly, the, the need for a public member majority. Um, the positive thing, I think, on that front, although we've been talking about this for, for a long time now, is uh, the idea has really gained some traction in the legislature. We, uh, we both witnessed a, a hearing um, last month in the Senate Rules Committee uh, where uh, two uh, uh, physician nominees to the medical board were really grilled about this breakdown in communication and breakdown in public trust. And uh, Senate uh, Majority Leader Atkins herself raised the possibility that maybe it's time for, uh, for uh, more public members on this public protection board. Yes, that was really pretty remarkable. And I have to say it's a real testament to these patient advocates who have been working tirelessly. And I know you've been really helping them to raise their voice and have their stories told and it's obvious from that hearing that the that they're, the lawmakers are are listening and are realizing they need to do something about it and take a stand. It's it's sad that it has to come to often real tragic stories to make things change, but they're really important stories to tell. A real testament to the to the families who uh, live through the tragedy of. Uh, harm to themselves or losing a loved one, but uh, uh, but can make a difference if they share those stories with the public. So we're, we're always so glad uh, and grateful to the families who do that, definitely. Absolutely. Um, well, uh, we've, uh, we've been, uh, we've talked about a lot of things. Anything we're missing, Bridget, before we sign off for the day? You know, for now, I think those are my, those are the main things that we're planning on, um, on addressing. And I, again, I just thank you for having this conversation and, and for being an, a really important ally in this, in this fight. Sometimes we feel very outnumbered, <laughs> but I think it's important to keep on, keep on going, keep on fighting. 
Well, of, of all of the organizations, CPIL is one of those uh, we all have to thank uh, for, for watching the board over these many years. Um, uh, some of our listeners might know that uh, you were the home of the original enforcement monitor appointed by the legislature uh, many years ago to look into failures at the board and, and, and have carried on that mission for many years. So thank you for your work, too. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, so good to have you, Bridget. Um, thanks for joining me on the podcast. For anyone who wants more information, they can always go to our website, consumerwatchdog.org. And later in the week, um, we'll be running this podcast all week, of course, you'll uh, you'll be able to take action, uh, reach out to your own representatives in Sacramento um, on these issues to make the board more accountable to the public. Um, thanks again for listening. Uh, please remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Uh, we're now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to everyone for listening. I'm Carmen Balber, and this has been the Rage for Justice Report.